So um, firstly, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to uh, thank you for your time this evening and uh, welcome uh, to the next webinar in our series on uh, business-related activities in this wonderful new environment that we're all getting to enjoy. Um, and I'd like to thank, uh, well, thank very much um, Kelly Chard for taking the time out to join us this evening. Um, so Kelly is the director and founder of Growth MD and uh, starting the business with a mission of doing accounting better. Proactive and down to earth, Kelly is known amongst her network as the go-to person for small business owners seeking smart, honest and actionable advice. And I'm sure we're going to get plenty of that this evening. So, um, so just by way of format, so Kelly's going to be doing a presentation for us. At the end of the presentation, we're going to be doing a Q&A. And uh, just a reminder, as I said, if you'd like to ask any questions, then the bottom of your Zoom screen is a box called Q&A. Just click on that, type in the questions, and I shall moderate the questions at the end. Um, and as I said, if you're using a tablet, uh, it's towards the top right-hand side corner of that. Um, now, the presentations can be recorded, so for uh, those who may want to share this information with, obviously, uh, colleagues or partners or otherwise, you'll be able to do that. We shall send that out to you tomorrow. Without any further delay, can I please hand over to you, Kelly? Thank you, Paul. Um, and thank you for having me on. It's great to be able to catch up with um, everybody about pre-30 June planning um, and tax matters. Um, Paul's given me a bit of an intro, so I won't bore you too much with this, but uh, as Paul said, I'm the founder of GrowthMG. We work with health practices all around Australia, uh, primarily on taxation and business advice, uh, but we do a lot in the financial technology solution space for um, practitioners and practices alike. Now, before I start, I always have this disclaimer, but the main crux of this is that because we're talking about finances, any advice is um, general. So what I talk about, um, if it's uh, going to severely impact your financial position, you should seek some independent advice uh, related to your own circumstances. So today's discussion, uh, we're going to go through why, in my opinion, there has never been a more important time for planning. So I've been in accounting for just coming up to 20 years. And I think this year in the lead up to 30 June 2020 is the most important um, pre end of financial year I have seen. Uh, I'm going to share with you an easy end of financial year tax planning checklist that you can use to run through your own position and, and potentially share with your own accountants as well. Um, I'm going to just briefly touch on structures and what you might like to think about in your own structure, so your companies or your trusts or your sole trader structures before 30 June. And then I'll give you a couple of tips about setting up your financial systems so you can start 1 July um, really well. So 2021, that is only six to seven weeks ago, uh, weeks away in, um, in the tax world. So in the 2021 financial year. And as I said, I don't think there's ever been a more important time to, to really nail your end of year planning. Uh, mainly because we're in a time of economic uncertainty. So that is always going to mean that planning should be a priority. Many of you will have received uh, COVID-19 stimulus payments. Some of those are taxable, some are not taxable. So some of those are going to impact on your year-end positions. Uh, some of you would be quite concerned about cash flow. Uh, whether you spend cash now, so create deductions prior to year end, or whether you uh, stay in a conserve uh, 
um, uh, state where you're spending uh, less and keeping cash in, in uh, these uncertain times. Uh, there's the increased immediate deduction asset write-off, which I'll go through. Um, we've had a lot of tax payment extensions, so that's made it really hard to navigate when payments are due. There's the super amnesty, which is still ongoing. Uh, we've had structures uh, fall down for some people. They haven't been uh, great for people to access stimulus. They haven't been great for people to operate from, and that's only becoming apparent now. And this one here is a big one. Um, prepare for increased audit activity. Uh, we've had so many new rules. We've had a lot of money come in via stimulus, um, via the tax system. And there has been a lot of things to comply with. Uh, all the experts are coming out saying there is definitely going to be increased audit activity over the coming months and years. So you need to be planning and getting everything right this year and ticking all your boxes to make sure you're, you're compliant moving forward. So to go through this end of financial year tax planning checklist, uh, these are the conversations that I am having with my clients. So these are some of the things that I will be sitting down with my clients about pre-30 June. Um, so I, I think that they're probably relevant for a lot of people in this webinar. Uh, the first one is the instant asset write-off. So as part of the COVID-19 stimulus measures, the uh, instant asset write-off was increased to $150,000. That's for assets installed and in use before the 30th of June 2020. And that's for small businesses to access. Now, there is one caveat with that in vehicles because most people who I've talked to uh, in relation to the 150,000 have wanted to go out and buy a really nice shiny new vehicle Unfortunately, the cap of uh, 57581, which is the depreciation limit on vehicles, still applies even though we have this $150,000 asset write-off. But if you are planning on um, investing in assets before the end of the year, perhaps you own a practice and you need some new uh, equipment or uh, an ultrasound machine or something like that, uh, it is a good time to do it, provided you have the cash flow to do it. Uh, superannuation. So super is always a big end of year uh, tax planning discussion point. This year there's some extra things to consider. So uh, at the end of the year we always talk to clients about maximising concessional caps. So every person now has a $25,000 concessional cap and that's a $25,000 cap from all sources. So if you're an employee doctor at say a hospital and you're doing some private work on the side, uh, the $25,000 is in total. You don't get two lots from your two different employment activities. So that $25,000 um, essentially would usually come off your taxable income if you're say a self-employed person. This year we also have some bring forward caps from previous years. So if you hadn't maxed out your $25,000 cap in the 2019 year, and you have a super balance of under $500,000, you will be able to roll over the excess in your cap and increase your deduction limit in this 2020 year. That is uh, potentially really valuable for um, many uh, practitioners I know who operate say out of a company and may employ their spouse as an administration person or a bookkeeper 
um, and they can use that extra cap from previous years to actually really bump up that super contribution um, in the current year, provided you're still you know, paying a commercial market salary under the personal services income rules. But you should be able to find a way to make that extra super contribution and use that cap. We also have the super amnesty to think about this year. So the super amnesty is uh, related to superannuation for employees that should have been paid prior to 31 March 16, but wasn't paid. Now, you would be surprised how many people I know, and even some of my clients that have come to me recently, have a balance sheet of, of maybe their own medical company, and it has a large super payable amount on there because they've paid themselves wages over many years, and they haven't actually always paid the super, the 9.5% super on that. If you exercise the superannuation amnesty that's available this year, you can lodge forms with the ATO to apply for the amnesty, and you can pay that late super, and you can still claim a tax deduction for it. That's really valuable for people that want to go back and fix up super that remains unpaid and still maximise deductions in the current year. Normally, if your super is late, you lodge your late forms with the ATO, you pay the super for the, for the employee, but you don't get a tax deduction. So the super amnesty is facilitating a deduction for late super. Um, and one other reminder with any super, if you want to claim it in the 2020 year before 30th of June, it must be received by the super fund or if you're paying it through the ATO clearinghouse, uh, must be received into the ATO clearinghouse pre-30 June to be tax deductible. Um, so I see a lot of people pay super on the 30th of June, but in theory, that's not actually deductible in that, in that financial year. So get in early and pay your super. Some of the zero and myob clearinghouses can take six or seven days to actually uh, process your super. So best to pay early. We always talk to clients about paying expenses early pre-30 June. Um, so if you have renewals coming up, a lot of them come up in June. So there might be your colleges and associations, uh, your medical defence insurance, uh, or you may even have some repairs and maintenance on your rental properties or vehicles that you use for work purposes. Uh, paying those expenses pre-30 June rather than leaving them to pay in July um, just brings forward that tax deduction into the 2020 financial year. So I always advise my clients to go through last year, look at all the expenses they paid around June, July and make sure that they're receiving their invoices or checking with the provider to make sure they can make payment pre-30 June. If you own a practice, um, I always ask my practices to review their um, PMS, their practice management system, and have a look for any old debts um, and if they can write off bad debts. Uh, so usually not uh, a massive deal in GP practices, but if we have uh, specialist practices, often they have very high um, debtors and it's a good idea to go through and get rid of any old ones before 30 June. Uh, if you are an individual, you may like to look at prepaying interest on investment loans. Uh, so say rental properties or any sort of share borrowings that you may have, you can pay 12 months of interest in advance. 
uh, and get that deduction in this financial year. But the trick with that one is that you need to talk to the bank early and they'll have to give you a, a fixed figure for the next 12 months of interest and you'll have to make that payment prior to 30 June. Uh, for companies, always a good idea to look at your shareholder loan. So if you've taken money out as a, a shareholder or a director of your company, um, making sure that you've either paid it back or have a loan agreement in place for that loan. If you don't, the worst case scenario is that upon audit or review, the ATO could uh, trigger a dividend to you with no franking credits attached for that amount. So good to get all your loans in order pre-30 June. Um, and of course, if you have a trust, you want to be reviewing your beneficiary, seeing who's going to get profit in this 2020 financial year, uh, planning the distributions of profit amongst your group and signing off on any resolutions. So those are the, uh, that's a little bit of a checklist that uh, I think you should go through. Um, there is uh, definitely benefit in going through and making payments for as many things as you can, provided you have the cash. Um, projecting out maybe if you're making super, how much tax, uh, tax are you going to pay on that super contribution? Uh, and just uh, looking at your cash reserves and doing it as a bit of an exercise rather than just leaving it to the last minute. Uh, also pre-30 June, we also like to do a structure check. So I always think an annual review of your structure is best practice. And it doesn't have to be a sit down with a accountant for three hours type exercise. Um, having a quick review uh, of where you're at is really, really important. And you can even just do this yourself. So thinking about, you know, you may have companies, you may have trusts, you may be a sole trader. Your, um, your structures may not be enough for what you're doing, or maybe your structures are too complex and you don't actually need the structures that you have and they're just um, costing you money. So uh, the trigger points for review of structures are often if you have a change in your circumstances or your income levels. Uh, things like starting private work, um, maybe you received your fellowship, so now you're doing private work and you've registered an ABN. Uh, or on the other end of the spectrum, maybe you're thinking of slowing down, retiring, preparing for sale. Uh, maybe you've de decided to employ staff or maybe you're uh, thinking about employing a spouse, say a low income spouse in your business. Uh, these are the sorts of things that's, that should make you stop and say, oh, I think I should check that my structure is actually right for what I'm doing right now. Uh, you also want your structure to be tax effective and to protect your assets. So if you have any concerns that it doesn't uh, do that for you or you're paying too much tax or you feel um, confused about which assets are protected and are not, then it's time to do a bit of a review. So my, my, my tip here would be to simply ask your advisor, um, usually your accountant, am I in the best structure for my circumstances? Uh, often accountants get busy um, and they, they may not be as proactive as they should be and uh, get bogged down in your tax and your BAS and things like that. And the overall review of your structure is not completed regularly enough. So just say to them, am I in the best structure for my circumstances? Am I protected? So are my assets protected? If this happened, what would happen to my assets? If that happened, what would happen to my assets? Um, and also, could I be more tax efficient? Is there something else that I could be doing to either trigger some tax deductions 
or to change the way profit flows around my entities. Uh, and make any changes you can as soon as possible. Um, ideally before the 1st of June is great. Some things are obviously complicated and, and take a bit longer, but now is a perfect time to have that conversation and, and do anything you can before the, the start of the next financial year. So that leads us to say, well, new financial year is a, a fresh start. And um, for my clients, I very much try and um, cement that a new financial year is the time when we can adopt a better practice. So do something better than we did the year before. Often it, it is record keeping, it is organisational matters. Um, so on the left there, you'll see I've got some um, receipts. I still get two boxes of receipts like that. Uh, on the right, I've got somebody at the computer, but still lots of things being done manually. And look, this is what I'm still seeing is that probably for practices, I would say more than 50% of practices I'm talking to are still using manual systems for a lot of their financial processes in their business. Um, so not even knowing because they're not receiving proactive advice, not even knowing about um, tools that they could be using to simplify payroll or data entry or bookkeeping. I um, am very much a fan of streamlining as much as you can and putting really good systems in place. Um, there's a lot of practices that have um, quite a high risk of fraud or error. They might be wasting time because they're really just doing um, something the way it's always been done and haven't had a fresh look at it. Um, so I think it's a good idea to spend some time before the new financial year auditing your, your workflows and your tools um, because now is that sort of once a year opportunity where you get to make changes that can go live from the 1st of July. So that's for practices. Um, sole traders or contractors working in practices under service agreements still can also take um, this opportunity to really streamline their systems. Um, I thought it might be a good idea for me to put up um, how I like to work with um, contractors who are working under service agreements and what I think is, I guess, the best setup for you to automate um, your record keeping and your bookkeeping so you don't really have to think about it too much. Um, so I am a big fan of Zero, which most people have probably heard about by now. Um, most of my clients are on that, uh, even the sole traders. Uh, so we, we advise our clients to set up a separate bank account or um, have a separate credit card purely for work-related purposes. So nothing else goes through there if possible. That's hooked up to Zero. All the transactions go through electronically. The practice manager at the, the GP practice they work at uh, automatically uh, emails their invoices directly into Xero. Uh, when the doctors are out and about, they take screenshots or photos of their receipts, their coffee, their parking ticket for their conference, whatever it might be, that gets uploaded straight into Xero. So we have a really streamlined and easy data collection system. Um, the result of that is when we get to BAS time, we usually have 99% of the information and we don't need to bug you for more information. Uh, we have real time information. So at any time during the year, you can call us and say, what's my tax position? I'm a little bit concerned. I haven't put enough away for tax this year. Uh, where am I sitting? 
Uh, and that's really important. Uh, so that's probably the biggest benefit of having a system like this is having everything up to date all the time. So having that real time profit and tax information. Um, and importantly in the green down the bottom there too, capturing all your deductions. So I think that there is so many deductions missed by, um, by taxpayers, particularly um, small micro businesses like contractors working under service agreements. Um, you tend to capture all your big things, all your registrations, and of course, management fees and things like that. But there is a lot that's missed. So um, things like um, light meals when you're studying or when you're working long shifts, uh, parking uh, when you're going to a conference, um, bits and pieces of fuel, stationery, things like that, that might seem small in isolation, but they really do add up over the year. Um, so one thing I'm pretty passionate about is having really good data and record keeping. So look, that, that's all I've prepared tonight. Um, I'm really looking forward to hopefully answering some questions on you about probably more that year-end tax planning and, and what you can be doing. Um, before we get to that, I have my website here and um, there is a button on that website where you can book complimentary discussion with our team. And let us know what you'd like to talk about. So if it's tax and structure reviews, um, if you want a fixed fee accounting package, if you need help with that automation and, and process improvement or, or anything, be more than happy to help all the, um, the webinar attendees. So Paul, I, I hope we have a few questions. Uh, we do, thank you very much, Kelly. Um, so I'll get you to unshare your screen if that's okay with you and we'll um, do that. And as I said, everyone will get a copy of this as well. So just a reminder, if you've got any questions you would like to ask in the few minutes that we have down the bottom of your screen, down the middle is the Q&A box. And if you can just type your question into there, I'll be very happy to pass them on. Um, so the first question I've got, um, Kelly, is just regarding the super. And I, I think obviously the government's ability for you to be able to take so $10,000 out of it. So the question is, can I get $10,000 from our super or just part of it? I suppose what would be the rules around qualification for that as well? Yeah, so um, so this is part of the stimulus measures. So there is an ability to access $10,000 before the 30th of June and then another $10,000 after June. Uh, there is criteria around that and it's linked, it's a self-assessment, but it's linked to a 20% drop in turnover, essentially. So you, you do have to self-assess that you have been impacted by the virus um, and your income has been in, impacted and, and you are eligible. There is, there has been a few schemes around about this. So um, there's been a, a bit in the press about a loophole where you could take $10,000 out um, and then recontribute the $10,000 back in as a tax deductible contribution. So I've had that uh, question quite a few times from from people and I think just um, it's good to say here to exercise caution around that because the ATO have come out and said there's a bit of audit activity going to be happening around that um, yeah and, and I assume that would be you know is it is it to show the 20% decrease now or is it across the year I mean so what was the qualification of that because obviously most of the economic shock is now, so what, what is the criteria around what qualifies as a 20% reduction? Yeah, so the 20% reduction would be, everybody's probably quite familiar or, or more familiar now with GST turnover testing um, after the whole JobKeeper type 
uh, qualification period. So you would be wanting to show um, a 20% turnover in, in that uh, income for the period in which you are going to access. So you don't necessarily, um, there, there hasn't been a specific test period as much as I guess uh, the JobKeeper, it hasn't been as strict as JobKeeper. Um, so if you had say uh, your March and April um, patient fees, say, if you were a, a, con a, con a contractor, you had your patient fees, you know, and you could show that they had dropped 20% the same period last year, I think you would probably um, satisfy. Awesome. Uh, next question was, um, should I change from a sole trader to a company and what are the pros or cons? Mm. So this is a, a, another question I get asked all the time. Uh, so a, different people will have different views on this. Um, my particular view is that there is, um, it will depend on your own circumstances, but there is not the benefits that some people think there are via operating from a company. So many, many years ago, you could operate a, as a, a doctor from a medical company and you could cap your tax rate at 30% or 27.5%. Um, we now have these rules, we've had them for a little while now, called personal services income rules, uh, which essentially say that the money in that company still has to be paid out to you. So there's not an overwhelming tax saving and you're not going to be able to pay and cap your rate. Um, like you would have done maybe 10 years ago or so. There is still benefits uh, from a, uh, an employment perspective. So say if you had a low-income spouse that, that was helping you in your business, if you were employing them, you could pay them from your company. You could also contribute to super up to $25,000 on their behalf in addition to their commercial salary. Uh, and there's a few other things like travel allowances and... Um, some uh, motor vehicle allowances and things like that, concessional treatment for motor vehicles in companies. So it can be beneficial from a tax perspective, but it's not going to slash your tax rate definitely from 47% to 27.5%. Beautiful. Um, so one of the questions then was a really a note that sort of feeds out of that as well. I mean, is there an ideal structure typically for a, let's say a contracting doctor and then an ideal structure and or for you know, a practice owner? Is there something which is, you know, yeah, so the, um, I mean, just amongst my client base, as an example, we have um, contracting doctors operating as both sole traders and, and from companies. So they're generally the two structures you're going to find. Um, the benefit is really, if somebody tells you to go into a company as a contracting doctor, you would ask them, what is the legal benefit? So asset protection benefit and show me the tax benefit and what it's going to cost me each year. And then you can make your decision as to whether you want to be a sole trader or a company. For a practice owner, um, there is, it's really, there's so many, I guess, different types of practices around um, and different structures. There's probably not a one size fits all. And usually once you move into practice ownership, you've usually got some other things happening there. Often you own buildings or you have other investments or there could be co-owners. Uh, but we, we see a lot of practices still in um, companies with the shares owned by discretionary trusts. Uh, we have a couple in hybrid trusts, which are a bit of a mix of um, trusts uh, and some unit trusts as well. And it can often depend on your goals. So um, have you started that practice with the intent to sell and or admit another owner in the next few years? Do you tend to 
you know, sell to a corporate in five years? Do you send, do you want to own that forever? So there's a few different scenarios and we sort of have to work out the best structure for you based on that. Awesome. Um, the next one is that, um, um, so the question is, is how do we account for seasonal changes in income levels? Or under the job keeper? Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest that's the question because ultimately, I mean, you know, as far as your taxable income, it's for 12 months and it doesn't matter when you make the money, it's obviously how they uh, measure it, I suppose, from a tax perspective. But mm. um, I'm going to, again, we have to assume that that's what the question was, Kelly. Yeah, I, I just thought maybe that question was in relation to JobKeeper because there is an alternative test uh, under JobKeeper access for yeah. seasonal income earners where yeah. you, you can sort of take uh, another test month rather than the, the same month last year if you're somebody that has peaks and troughs in their income yeah. levels. Um, if it's in relation to just general application of tax, um, that could be a, another question because we do have um, some clients and I'm sure there's some doctors here that do earn quite a bit um, at one part of the year or they might be doing the heavy duty locum work for part of the year and then not for another part of the year. So uh, I guess that just comes down to having a good planning and knowledge of what you've got and you know then applying an average sort of rate of tax so that you can predict what your tax rate will be. Cool. Another question was just around um, tax at 47% of income. Uh, they thought also that the question is, I thought it was less than 40. But I suppose a better question is perhaps describing the tax brackets. Yeah, so um, for an individual, the highest tax rate is 47%. And that's once you include your, so 45% plus your 2% Medicare levy. So that's a top tax rate of, of 47%. So that's for anybody earning over and above that um, 180-190 level. Um, prior to that, you had your tiered tax rates. So 37%, uh, 32%, 19%, depending on where you sit and how much you earn. Uh, for companies, uh, if you're a, a company in business, the tax rate is 27.5% if you're a small business. And for companies that don't have business income, they just have passive income, the tax rate is 30%. Um, if you're taxed in a company as a medical professional, you pay tax in a company and then maybe pay out dividends, uh, you will still end up paying at the individual level. You know, if you're in that 47% tax bracket, you'll still end up paying that 19% top up tax. Beautiful. Um, one more question was around, when you were talking about the um, asset write-off for 150, you said obviously as a small business, what's the qualification of what is a small business in that sense? Yeah, so the, the tests for uh, the write-off were um, 50 million and, and 500 million. So 50 million, uh, so well, I hope someone on the webinar has got a turnover of more than 50 million. <laughs> oh, we haven't, I can tell you that. <laughs> so, um, Everybody probably, you know, that's on this webinar is probably going to, to qualify. And then there was another test uh, for businesses with a $500 million turnover, which was uh, another, another sort of asset um, advantage again. But um, for everybody on the webinar, I would say that the 150 is available to them. And that excludes GST as well. But it is, it is purchased and installed by, so you would need to get your skates on if you wanted to buy an expensive toy for the practice at this point. Yeah, that's right, yes. Now, and global supply chains are slightly disrupted. Um, 
Yeah, look, and I suppose the other the question is uh, just for, oh, sorry, just more of a comment. The Kelly situation with with zero is that uh, we got nine practices and we used to use MYOB and probably I think about two years ago or so switched to zero and you know we used as I said all the systems and processes Kelly suggested. It saves us an inordinate amount of work and also the accuracy and detail of the information. And I know um, you know if you get audited, you know, I said all the receipts are already in the system. It just makes your entire process so much easier. So definitely would encourage you to follow Kelly's model around building those sort of systems and taking that time if you are, and I said, I mean, it's astounding, Kelly, you're saying 50% of practices are still using manual systems, but because um, obviously a lot of your records are electronic, but I'm just conscious of the fact that, yes, if you if you are using manual systems, please do take the time right now to um, use this opportunity to shift into something like that, because it said it'll just change your world when it comes to knowing where your position is and, and how you are performing. Um, so Kelly, I have gone answered all of the questions that have been supplied. I'd like to thank you very, very much for your time and for your wisdom. Uh, obviously, it's generally a very complex area for, for most of us. Like I said, it's where you like to work, but then trying to account for it and dealing with the tax office is always a joy. Uh, but I really enjoyed your presentation tonight, and I thank you so much for your time. Oh, and, thank you. Uh, and once again, we'll be we're sending out a recording of this, so please, uh, you're more than welcome to share it with your colleagues, peers, and then your partners or life partners. Um, and I said, if you've got any questions, I said, Kelly, we'll, we'll have those details for you if you do want to get in contact with So anyway, enjoy the rest of your Thursday night. Uh, just a quick reminder that we've got Professor David Wilkinson on Monday doing a COVID update and what it all means for us in clinical medicine and also just from an economic perspective. So look forward to that. And Kelly, have a wonderful night. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Will. Thanks, everybody.